Pastor Paul Boyer and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from the Scriptures will better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's listen to Pastor Paul as we study the Word together. morning everybody thanks for coming out today look at this place we're packing it out yeah i like that thank you holy spirit is moving from the hearts and minds of the people of the lord i love it bringing you into the house of the lord on this sunday morning to hear me okay you were warned it was on facebook so right so thanks for coming but seriously we've got some important stuff to talk about today today's message is about fear And what are you afraid of? We're going to be reading from Nehemiah chapter 4, if you want to turn there, verses 7 through 23. And I'll read that to you in just a minute. But We're living right now, I think the the best description of this age that we live in right now is the age of fear. If you look around us, fear is everywhere. We've We've got terrorism, we've got the economy, we've got the election, we've got all of these things going on right now. And and what is terrorism for? What is terrorism about? Well, it's in the, the answer is in the question, right? Terrorism is about terror. It's about fear. It's a way to control something that's outside of your control through, through manipulation and intimidation. It's a way to make people fearful and achieve your political goals through their fear. It's a way of reaching into a society that you can't touch any other way, but you can touch the fearful hearts of human beings. And you can lead them into fear. Do you realize that, that terrorism's goal is to make us change our way of life? That's what it's, what, what it's about. And every time we react to terrorism, we give them a little bit of a victory. Every time we tighten security at the airport... We give them a little bit of a victory. Every time we stay home instead of going to the movies, because there's been, was it just recently, another movie movie theater shooting? Every Every time we give into fear, we're giving fear a victory. And they're allowing them to achieve their goals. So what we're going to talk about today is fear. We're going to talk about what fear is. We're going to talk about what we can do about it how we respond to fear, and what God has in mind for us. The things that Scripture tells us about fear, and how Nehemiah is an example of how to deal with that fear. So before we get started, let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning humbly, and oftentimes fearfully when we come into your house. There's so much going on in this fallen world that that can cause even us, your people, your sons and daughters to fear. We can be afraid to travel. We can be afraid to to send our kids out into public schools. There's so many things going on in this world, Lord, that should cause fear. And do cause fear many times. Lord, we ask you to give us the strength to come in here this morning and lay that fear at the foot of the cross. We come in here in this house of God, in this sanctuary, safe from all of that. Because we're in your arms. We're standing at your feet. We're praising you and worshiping you, and you're bigger than all of that. You're bigger than all the fear. 
So we ask, Lord, that you give us that spirit of, of, of well-being, that spirit of peace. Remind us who we are, that we are more than conquerors because of you and our place in you. So, Lord, be with us this morning. Open our hearts and our minds to what I'm about to say. I ask, Lord, that everything that I say from this pulpit today is your, are your words and not mine, that it goes from here to those that hear it and from their ears to their hearts to become part of who they are, that they can take your word out in this fearful way, into this fearful world. Be with us this morning, Lord. Give us peace and build us up. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you want to read along with me, I'm on Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 7. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Amorites, and the Ashadites heard that the repair on the walls of Jerusalem was progressing, and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. Why were they furious? The surrounding people liked Jerusalem to be in ruins. They wanted that wall down. Because if that wall was down, the people of Jerusalem, the people of God were fearful. The people of God were vulnerable. And they could intimidate them. They could, they could threaten. They could mass their armies at the border of, of Judea. And they could say, we control you through intimidation. We want to control you through fear. We want you to bow down to us. But when they started building the wall, they saw their power slipping away. They saw their ability to intimidate the people of God slipping away. As the wall got higher, their influence got less. So at first they mocked. They said, oh, you're a wall. You don't know what you're doing. You're, are, are you builders? Are you stonemasons? You don't know what you're doing. You're building this wall back up from the rubble. And it's so weak that even a fox jumping on it would knock it down. So they mocked them. They tried to instill in them a, a sense of, of, of the impossibility of what they were trying to do. They didn't buckle under that. Nehemiah stood firm and they continued to build the wall. And it infuriated those people around them because they saw their influence over the people of God diminishing with every brick that was laid. So they plotted, I'm in verse, I'm in verse 8 now, <clears throat> they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and we stationed a guard because of them day and night. Verse 10. In Judah it was said, the strength of the laborer fails because there's so much rubble. We will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they won't know or see anything until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said it, was, they said it to us time and again, everywhere you turn they attack us. So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall in vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords and their spears and their bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring God. And fight for your countrymen, for your sons and your daughters, for your wives and for your home. Verse 15. And when our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, Every one of us returned our own work on the wall. From that day on, half of the men did the work, while the other half held the spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried their loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped to his waist while he was, while he was building, and the trumpeter was beside me. When I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out. 
And we are separated far from one another along the wall. Wherever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued to work. While half of the men were built holding spears and from daybreak until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, let everyone and his, and his servants spend the night inside Jerusalem so that they can stand guard by, day, by night and work by day. And my brothers, my and I, my brothers, my men, and the guards with me never took off our clothes. Each carries this weapon, even while washing. So let's think about it a minute. Let's back up a little bit. Let's recap a little bit of where we are. In the book of Nehemiah, we start out with Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king, in exile, has never been to Jerusalem. Was, it was laid upon his heart by God, a passion to rebuild the wall and reclaim Jerusalem. For the Jews. So he went before the king and he asked for permission to travel. He asked for a leave of absence, as it will, if you will, to travel. And he also asked for the building materials and the supplies that he would need. And he also asked for free passage or safe passage through the, the king's territories by all the governors in between. And God granted him not only what he asked for, but, but much, much more. So he returned to Jerusalem and he found the walls completely destroyed and he found the, the workers complete disorder, completely demoralized and afraid. So he motivated and he encouraged and he built them up and he put them to the task and he, he, he sold the vision of the wall and the power that the wall would give us and give the people. And they started work. As they started work and then they persisted and they rebuilt, they were working rebuilding the wall, they, they came under persecution, they came under, under criticism and mockery, but they kept going and they kept building. And by this point, the wall is half the height. Well, half the height doesn't seem like a whole lot, but you have to remember the wall in Jerusalem was huge. So even half the wall is still a formidable barrier. It's still something to be feared. It would be difficult to conquer the city, even with half a wall. And that was the fear that was placed upon the local people, Tobiah, Sanballat. They were afraid because of the growing power of the Israelites. So that's where it leaves us. They're becoming fearful, they're becoming enraged, and they're, they, they're trying to, to discourage the people, to get them to stop their work. They're threatening them. They're making them fearful. They're trying to intimidate them. So, <clears throat> do any of you ever remember a reality TV show called Fear Factor? Everybody seen that? I don't really think that was the, I don't think it was really Fear Factor. I think it was just Nasty Factor. <laughs> or Gross Factor, right? So, I, I really don't have an inherent fear of cow eyeballs. They don't frighten me. And I'm not going to eat one. <laughs> right? Not going to happen. So I don't think it was really, the fear factor was really so much about fear. It's just, are you, are you greedy enough to do some nasty stuff for the $10,000 reward or whatever it was? I wouldn't eat the cow eyeball for however many money you told me. But so anyway, I'm not sure that that, that really was fear. Part of it could be, I suppose. But what is our greatest fear? I'm willing to, to say that each and every one of us here has a, has a fear at least one, in their heart. They've got something that just really frightens them, sets them on edge. So what is your greatest fear? Is it sickness? Is it financial? Is it fear of losing your job? Is it fear of losing your pension? 
Is it an accident? Is it growing older? Is it death? Or, you know, in my case, it's fear of losing your good looks. I mean, that's just not fair to deprive the world of all this. Right? Okay. Is it spiders? Okay. Is it really big spiders? Okay, so we're going to talk. I've got to tell you the story. <laughs> I'm, I'm, there's a lot of stuff I'm not scared of. I'm not scared of dogs. I'm not scared of worms and cow eyeballs. And I'm not scared of, I'm not scared of snakes. I don't, you know, I don't pick them up unnecessarily, but I don't, you know, wet myself when I see one like my mother did. So I, I, I don't know if you, the one thing that gets me is spiders, right? Spiders, I just don't, I don't do spiders. So when I was about 15, I had a friend named Jed. His brother was named Ted. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not making this up. So I had a friend named Marshall, and his mom one time, I said, Jed and Ted and Fred, but Fred's dead, so that leaves Jed and Ted. And she said, oh, what happened to poor Fred? There was no Fred. That was a, I just made that up. Anyway, so Jed had this spider. He, had this, he bought this tarantula, this great, big, nasty, black, hairy thing. And he had it on his head. And I went over to his house, and I'm standing at his house, and I'm talking to him, and the spider jumped off his head and landed on my face. And, and it just flat right there. Well, I couldn't tell what it was until it moved. And then it started crawling down my face. I screamed like a little, little girl. I did my rendition of the river dance. <laughs> and I ran out of the room. And I wasn't going back in there until he put that spider away. I don't do spiders, Okay. I was afraid of that spider. Well, I know, tarantulas don't really hurt you, but it doesn't matter. It's a spider. Okay, scared the Jesus out of me. So I was afraid of that. So what is fear? What do you think it is exactly? Well, we've got many synonyms we use to identify fear. We've got, sometimes we call it worry. Sometimes we call it, we say, my worst nightmare. In my worst nightmare, this, is, this was what would happen. Sometimes we, we're just, we call it terror. Sometimes we're just so afraid that we freeze and we can't, we can't move. It can be paralyzing. Sometimes it's a phobia. Anybody know what the definition of phobia is? Phobia is an unreasonable fear. Now, God gave us good sense, right? Most of us. Some of us. God gave us good sense. Don't pick up the stinking snake. You should be afraid of a snake. That's why God gave you sense to stay away from the snake, right? Because the snake can hurt you. So sometimes fear is a good thing, right? When the dog comes growling and barking and is showing his teeth and he's about to rip your leg off, you should run. You should be afraid. It's the same thing. So that's not an unreasonable fear. An unreasonable fear is something that goes way beyond what's necessary, right? So if an unreasonable fear is a phobia, and there, there are a few. There's claustrophobia. Anybody have that? Oh, yeah. I don't really have it, but I still don't like MRIs because they shove you in that little tube. You feel like toothpaste, and they're going to squish you out the other end, right? I don't like that. But I, it's, not really a, it's not really a phobia of mine. I can do tight spaces. I just don't want to. <coughs> but, but we got claustrophobia as one. There are people that are afraid to leave their homes. They're afraid of everything. That's called agoraphobia. They're afraid of just, you know, I'm staying home. It's too, it's too crazy out there. That's agoraphobia. Then you have fear of heights. That's acrophobia. And tell me this, Air Force guys. I've met several Air Force guys that have fear of heights. I don't get it. 
Seems like that would be a prerequisite. Anyway, yeah, just get a, get a ground job, I guess. But the guy, one guy was really afraid of heights. He wouldn't sit in the top tel- tier of the bleachers, and he was a tail gunner on B-52s. I don't get it. <laughs> he said, I wasn't scared. I had this whole airplane around me. Uh, whatever. Okay. And here's, there's the fear of staying single. That's an eptophobia. And then there's the fear of getting married. That's called being a guy. Uh, <laughs> Okay, anyway, so apart from these technical terms, there's a, le- there, there's a less technical approach for understanding fear. We all know what it fear. Does anybody, does anybody know what surveys revealed is the number one greatest fear that human beings have? It's not death, it's not sickness, it's not loss of a loved one. You know what it is? Public speaking. How many of you can identify with that? Okay, so that's pretty common. Well, I got over that a long time ago. Yeah, good thing. Actually, I still had that when I was called to preach. So that was the first thing I had to overcome, is being able to get up here and stand in front of all of you and, and be able to do this. I had to get over my fear of public speaking, but God was calling me so powerfully that that was a phobia that I had to get over. And I think I've been successful in that, but I still have a fear when I'm speaking. It's not that standing in front of you... And what you will think of me, even though I do value what you think of me, and I do want to make sure my fly is closed and all that stuff, right? So it's not that. But I still have a fear. I have a fear of what I'm saying and what God has called me to do. This is, for, this is important, what I'm doing. God has called me to tell you his words. Can you think of any bigger responsibility than that? to rightly share the Word of God with God's people, what scares me is I'm going to say the wrong thing, that I'm going to get it wrong, and I'm going to lead you down the wrong path. I'm going to tell you something that is not the will of God and is not in an alignment with God's Word, and you're going to believe me. So I guess you can take from this, don't believe anything I say. No. Take what I say with a grain of salt, as you should every preacher, because we're all human and we make mistakes. Base what, what is said against, and, and weigh that against the Word of God. Search for yourself whether what I'm saying is true. But my fear is that I will make a mistake. And so my prayer is, Lord, don't let me mess this up. Make sure that what I say is yours. Or they're your words, not mine. Now, all these little stories and, and all that, those are all mine. But when I'm talking about Scripture and what comes from the Word of God, please make it the Word of God. That's my fear. So what happens with fear? The bottom line of all of this that I'm trying to say is that fear can rob you. Fear can take away something from you. Fear can take away your joy. If you're fearful every time you leave the house, how how much joy do you have in life? The things that you would normally enjoy doing, you no longer do because you're afraid? What a, one of my greatest one of my greatest wishes and desires in life, I mean, on my bucket list, is to go to the Holy Land. Is it safe to go to the Holy Land right now? Right? So should fear of all that's going on in that part of the world keep me from going? Rob me of that? Should fear rob me of the, of, of the freedom to, to, to go where I want to and, and, and see the movies that I want to see? 
travel if I choose to? Should fear rob me of my joy? Should uh, should I fear for my family so much that I smother them and rob them of their joy? Fear can rob you. It can steal your peace. It can steal your joy. It can steal your soul if you let it. Sometimes fear can paralyze you to the point where you're no earthly good. One day in July, a farmer sat in front of his old shack smoking his corncob pipe. Along came a stranger and he said, How's your cotton going? Farmer said, ain't got none. Stranger said, really, why not? Farmer said, didn't plant none. Afraid of the boll weevil. Okay, well, how's your corn? Yeah, I didn't plant none. I'm afraid of the drought. Well, what about your potatoes? I didn't plant any potatoes. Afraid of the tater bugs. Stranger says, well, then what did you plant? Farmer said, nothing. I'm just playing it safe. Well, there's a moral to that story. Fear can make us so paralyzed that we do nothing. That farmer was concerned that his crop was going to fail, that there was a chance his crop was going to fail, so he wasn't even going to plant a crop. Therefore, his crop couldn't fail. But by so doing, he guaranteed the crop would fail because there would be no crop. He was paralyzed by fear. Instead of stepping out and taking the chance that the crop would be successful, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Playing it safe is the ultimate result of intimidation, which is the prime medium for fear. Nehemiah's enemies plotted to cause confusion and discouragement amongst the Jews. Had Nehemiah played it safe, he would have thrown in with Sanballat and Tobiah and gone along with their demands. They invited him to dinner. We'll see that in a little bit in a few chapters. They invite him to dinner to talk about all this, and he's smart enough to stay home because it was a trap. But he would have gone along with what they wanted to do, and the wall would have remained half-built. But he didn't. He didn't give in to the discouragement. He didn't give in to the fear. He, played, he didn't play it safe. There was a Japanese soldier named Yashahaka Hakawi, if I said that right. He was in prison for 28 years. But it wasn't prison with walls and bars and guards. It was a prison of his own fear. Because when the Americans invaded Guam in World War II, he withdrew into the jungle and found a cave to hide in. Because he was afraid of what the Americans would do to him if they captured him. Now, in in his defense, he was told by his superiors that if the Americans captured him, they'd fry him in oil and eat him. So, he was a little frightened of that, I suppose. Of course, the Americans weren't going to do that, but he didn't know that. So, he, he hid in the jungle for 28 years because of his fear. He couldn't overcome his fear of the Americans until finally he was convinced that the Americans weren't going to harm him. And he finally came out of hiding. He was in a prison of his own making because of his fear. He played it safe. So if playing it safe is wrong, what's the alternative? If being paralyzed by fear is destroying our walk and our witness and our mission for Christ, what's the alternative? 
What, is the, what counter, counteracts fear? What is it that gives us the power to take that first step? The word is faith. We serve the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ever think or ask. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And that includes our fears. Faith has a game, had a game plan for Nehemiah, and it worked out, even against his worst fears. So we come to the to question for us this morning. How do we follow God in the face of our overwhelming fears? So let's notice the pattern that emerges from the life and ministry of Nehemiah when it came to fear. Okay, that's all the introduction. We're going to start the sermon now. I learned from the best. Okay. Point number one, if you want to write this down. When fear offers itself, you should not tremble. You should expect it. Whoa, okay, hold on a minute. We're Christians. Should we expect to be afraid? Yeah. When you became a Christian, did God promise you a bed of roses? Which I don't get that metaphor because a bed of roses would not be anything I want. Right? Did God promise that everything was going to be easy? Did He promise us, contrary to what some preachers will tell you, did He promise us health, wealth, and prosperity? No. What did He promise? He promised us persecution. He promised us trials. He promised that the world will be against us because the world wants to control us through intimidation. And when we build our wall, the world can no longer intimidate us. So they resent that and they hate us for what we are and what we stand for and what we do. So you will be persecuted. You will. So should you be afraid of that? No. You should expect the persecution. You should expect the fear. You should expect problems in your life. Problems never seem to come at a good time. And often you're in the middle of trying to fix one problem when the next problem comes up. And it's often as when we're weakened by struggle, when we're facing a problem, when we're under stress and we're afraid, that's when Satan shows up. And try to make things even worse. Try to discourage us. Try to instill in us confusion and fear so that we'll give up. When you stop and consider that a wrestling match is not really against these things. We're worried about our bills and our health and the weather. Excuse me. We're worried about sickness. We're worried about our families. My granddaughter is going to be one year old. Is, is one years old today. One year old today. Today's her first birthday. And I fear for the world that she's inheriting. I have no. I can't say what the world's going to be like when she's my age. But that's not really the battle, is it? Because our battles are not against those things. Our battles are against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians 6, 12. That's the battle. The rest of this are just manifestations of that battle. So Jesus told us about this struggle. Jesus told us in John 10, 10, he said, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its abundance, in all its fullness. 
Our fears should not come from facing everyday cares in life. But they do come from a larger struggle that's going on in this fallen world. You can expect a struggle with fear because it's Satan's main goal to keep folks away from a relationship with our loving God. He wants to keep us out of heaven, but consider this. If you're a Christian this morning, if you've already given yourself to Christ, if you are a Christ follower, he's already failed. Satan cannot achieve that goal to keep us out of heaven. He's already failed because if you've given your life to Jesus, you've built your wall that he can't penetrate. That battle is won. You think Satan's frustrated? Yeah. Because he wants nothing more than to destroy your soul, and your soul is now in the hands of God, and you're protected. You've got that wall. But what he can do is destroy your peace. His next priority is to keep you from having a full, productive life for Christ. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal that abundance that Christ offers us. He wants to make your life here on earth a living hell. And he does that through fear and intimidation. So you can expect fear to cross your path. But what do you do about it when it shows up? The second point. When fear arrives, you should not wonder. You should expose it. See, fear is contagious. It spreads through, through the people. If Nehemiah would have noticed what was going on around him and saw the vast armies that are arrayed against him and all the peoples in the, that surrounded Jerusalem, how they were all coming to arms, and if he would have shown fear at that point, if he would have gotten, lost his confidence at that point, the game's over. Because his fear would have spread through the rest of the community and nothing more would have gotten accomplished. But he didn't. He stood up and said, remember the God you serve. Remember how many battles that God has already won for us. Remember your, your position in the God of the universe. Remember what you're fighting for. You're fighting for God and for your family and for your people and for your nation. He encouraged them. He built them up. He exposed the fear. He recognized the fear, but he refused to bend to it. When the grumbling started about the long hours and hard work that it would take to overcome to build this wall, it overcame some of the younger, some of the weaker builders, but it didn't overcome Nehemiah. That would have played right into the hand of the enemy. They were threatening constantly. They began rumors and they started talking trash. They're trying to intimidate them. Now, Pastor John wrote this part. I'm going to share this with you. He said, he said quote, you know I love NASCAR. I, I like NASCAR okay. It's these guys all going in left-hand circles. I, really fast. I, I, I get it. I just want them to turn right one time to see if they get confused. I, I think the wheels are shorter on that side, Right? So, I mean, it's, it's cool. It's, it's, it's big engines and, you know, a lot of chewing tobacco and stuff. It's all right. But, but he, he loves NASCAR. And he, he talks about Dale Earnhardt Sr. He drove the black number three Chevrolet and he called it the Intimidator. Well, with all due respect to him, he wasn't even close to the original Intimidator, Satan himself. Satan's plan from the beginning 
in the garden was to instill fear and use intimidation to achieve his ends. He still does that today. In 1 Peter 5, it says, Be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him and be firm in the faith. So Nehemiah dealt with all of this, all of this fear in two ways. First, he prayed. He prayed. Then he gathered the people together for encouragement. He exposed what it was, what the unbelief was, that unbelief, in essence, is sin. He exposed the fear, and he addressed it. In your own life, there are fears that can cause you to come unglued. We all have them. But that won't happen if you enlist your family to pray. Now, when I say that, when I say enlist your family to pray, am I talking about husband and wife and kids, aunt and uncle and cousins? Could be. If they're brothers and sisters in Christ as well as your relatives. When I talk about enlist your family to pray, I'm talking about this family. Because that's what we are. We're family. This is not an organization. This is an organism that's made up of individual people that are all sons and daughters of the living God through their faith in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the power that's in this room? The Holy Spirit has filled so many of us here. God is with us in this room right now. We have nothing to fear. Nothing. As long as we're in the will of God, we've got nothing to fear. So when fear overcomes me, I need to share that fear. I need to let somebody know about it. I need to ask someone to pray with me and pray for that. Now, I understand that some prayers need to be private. Some prayers need to be between you and God. Some prayers need to be maybe you and a prayer partner. Someone who will put their arm around you and, 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 and help you through that fearful time. But many of our prayers can be shared. So we have, the chair, we have that prayer ministry here at Victory Church. We have the prayer newsletters, the, the emails and the texts that go out saying, please pray. This person's in the hospital or this person's traveling or whatever. We're not doing that. That's not Facebook. We're not doing it just to let you know what we're doing and what we're going to have for dinner. That's not what that's for. What that's for is so that you can pray with me and I can pray with you. And you can build me up and I can build you up. Because this church doesn't exist just to give you something to do as a Christian. This isn't a, bo- this isn't a work to build a wall. What we're here for is to build you up. Because guess what? You're the wall. This church exists to build you. And we can best do that when we're praying for each other. We can fight the, best, the battle the best when we're on our knees. Use the power of prayer. So you ask your family to pray for you. You ask the church to pray for you. And one of the reasons you're encouraged to attend church is to be involved in whatever happens here, like I said, is not to wear you out, it's to build you up. This is what Jude said in chapter 1. He said, But you, dear friends, continue, must continue to build your lives on the foundation of your holy faith and continue to pray as you were directed by the Holy Spirit. Live in such a way that God's love 
can bless you as you wait for the eternal life that our Lord Jesus Christ in His mercy is going to give you. Prayer is the key. So you must expect the fear. And when it shows up, you must expose it for what it is. Number three, when fear threatens, don't grumble or run. Engage it. Playing safe means staying on the sidelines and never making a decision. And that's not what God called us to do. We're sitting in this sanctuary this morning, and we're safe. We're surrounded by people with like minds, people that think the way we do, that people that have our best interest in heart, people that love us and will support us even when we're wrong. They will correct us because they love us. It's safe in here. Does everybody feel safe? Anybody feel intimidated this morning in this room? It's safe in here. But guess what? This isn't the mission. The mission is out there. And it's not safe out there. We can't let the fear of the unknown and the fear of the outside world keep us in our sanctuary. We can go inside our walls and we can pull our, pull our head in and we can be no earthly good to anyone. We have to get off the sidelines. There's an old saying that ships in the harbor are safe, but that's not what ships are for. Ships are to take a chance. Rudy and I can talk to you about ships taking chances. We've been in some places that we probably shouldn't have come back from. But we took the chance. We didn't sit in the harbor. God's mission is not in this sanctuary. God's mission is out there in the world. We've got to make the decision to overcome the fear that the devil is trying to impress on our hearts and go after it. That's what our mission is. Playing it safe is not God's plan. Did Jesus play it safe? Jesus was a good Jewish boy. He could have gone to the temple every, for all the sacrifices. He could have held, upheld all the law, which, which Scripture tells us that he did. He could have been obedient to his parents. He could have kept everything. He knew Scripture. He could have been the best little Jewish boy ever. But what did he do? He stood up in the synagogue and he said, You're all a pack of vipers. You're like whitewashed tombs, full of beautiful on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. He stood up and he said, he said, you're all corrupt. You're not following the will of God. He stood up in the temple or in the in the, the synagogue and he read from Isaiah and he said, He said, This prophecy has been fulfilled today through me. He made that claim. And how did they how did they react? They tried to kill him. He didn't play it safe. He had a mission. And he knew the world was going to reject him. He knew that he was going to come under persecution. He knew that eventually he was going to die because of his mission. But he got off the bench and he did it because that was his calling. Well, guess what? We all have that calling. We're called to get off the bench, face our fear, and do the work of the Lord. We can't, we can't grumble about it. We can't run from it. We have to engage it. We have to stop playing it safe and become soldiers. There are soldiers in this room and they know what it means to be a soldier. It doesn't mean staying in your base where it's safe. It means strapping on, strapping on your battle rattle, grabbing your weapon, and going to war.
Well, guess what? Here's your weapon. Put your battle rattle on and go to war. What are we afraid of? If we're afraid of sickness, then we have to remember that the great physician is on the case. When rumors fly about our jobs or our reputation of the economy or the election or whatever it is, engage fear by being a person of faith. You may not have a sense of the outcome. You may not know where God's going with this. And I certainly don't. But you walk one step in front of the other and you continue on with faith. Have any of you remember the psalm that says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path? Right? Have you ever walked a trail in the dark with a lantern? What do you see? You see the end of the trail? No. You see your feet. And you see three feet in front of you. You see a circle. That lantern illuminates just what you can immediately impact and affect. It doesn't show you the end of the trail. So when it says, your, your word is a lamp unto my feet, what that's telling me is that I can see that next step of faith. I don't see how this is all going to come out. I don't see the end of this trail. I see that next step. And I step out in faith. I take that step. And then it illuminates the next step. And I take that step. And my faith is telling me that this is taking me in the right direction and that I will eventually achieve the goal that God set for me by taking that next step and the one after. I'm stepping out in faith. I'm not letting fear keep me locked in position. As a believer, engaging our fears means putting faith to work. Paul reminded Timothy in Philippians, he said, he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. Okay? So when fear offers itself, you should expect it, you should expose it, you should engage it. And the fourth one, you should eviscerate it. That's a strong word. That's not a word we use very often. Eviscerate literally means rip the guts out of it. That doesn't mean that you just tape, you just, that you just you know, push away your fear. It doesn't mean that you just subdue your fear. It means that you conquer it, that you kill it, that you kill it, bury it, dig it up, and kill it again. You eviscerate it. When you eviscerate something, it's stone dead. There's no chance that a vet's going to fix that deer up. He's dead, right? When you eviscerate something, it's completely destroyed. That's how we need to think about fear. We don't just push it away because it'll come back. We don't just tickle it. We kill it and kill it dead. That's what evisceration means. So how did Nehemiah encourage the people to engage their fears? In Nehemiah 4.14, it says, Then I looked over the situation. I called together the leaders and the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your friends, your families, and your homes. That's from the New Living Translation. Someone once said, remember the Lord should be our motto. In the Spanish-American War, our nation's battle cry was, remember the Maine. In World War I, it was, remember the Lusitania. In World War II, it was, remember Pearl Harbor. And even as we receive the Lord's Supper, we are reminded, do this in remembrance of me. The problem, though, with most of our fears is that we allow them to become invincible dragons in our minds rather than engaging them 
in warfare. There's an old German proverb that says, Fear makes the wolf bigger than it is. Nehemiah put swords in the hands of the builders and the brick carriers. Could you imagine doing that job? Any of you ever done construction? That's a two-hand job. Can you imagine doing that job? Laying bricks with this hand and holding your sword in this hand? Do you think that someone in that position, they're spread out along the wall, and they're not soldiers, they're common folks, they're spread out along the wall, they're building their part of the wall, they got their spear in this hand, and they're building, they're laying a brick like that. If the battle broke out, how effective a soldier do you think they would be? Well, with God on their side, they're invincible. But do you think holding that sword gave them confidence? Do you think that sword in their hand while they were working gave them the, the, the strength to carry on? I think it was a confidence builder. Guess what? You've got a sword. When we face the battle, when we face the fears, put the sword in your hand. Face your fear with one hand and hold the sword in the other. That's how you engage fear. He gave them instructions on what to do when the trumpet sounded. They were prepared. He reminded them they were fighting for their families and their way of life. And that's how to engage your fear. So let's say it's your finances. When the outgo is greater than the income and the upkeep threatens to be your downfall, engage your fear. Meet it with faith. Because because God tells us he is able to supply every need. Notice what Nehemiah did. There was a huge task that required men, not children, to complete. However, even men can become afraid. When Nehemiah called the people together, he didn't mince words. He told the workers that they had a tough enemy, long working hours, and it was going to be a hard, long road. But the goal was worth it. But he also communicated the game plan. So how does this apply to us and our fears? He told them to carry their weapon. Do you have a Bible? Sword of the Spirit? He told them to be watchful. Do you pray? He told them to listen for the trumpet call. Are you ready to serve? If the trumpet sounds, if God calls you, are you ready to serve? Are you prepared? Do you have your weapons at hand? He posted a guard. Are you disciplined in the spiritual things? Do you pray? Do you spend time in the Word? Do you build yourself up? Are you disciplined like a soldier would be? Readiness was the theme for dealing with the enemies that surrounded them. Staying ready eviscerates fear. If the band wants to come on up, I'm just about to wrap it up. I gave Terry some warning this time. In the morning service, I didn't give him any warning, so she kind of snuck out here and I wasn't done, so she was out there you know, just being Terry. She's, I, I care. Okay, so in conclusion, Nehemiah encouraged the people to, chase, to face their fears, and that is the key in spiritual matters or family, or business, or any other part of life, you have to face your fears. You can't fight the dragon when it's in the cave. You have to pull it out into the sunlight and face it. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Do the thing you fear, and the death of fear is certain. 
Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The first step of doing what you fear is always the hardest. The promise of Jesus is always, take it and I'll handle the fear. So what do you fear today? And how do you, how do you overcome the fear? You face it with faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for these words of encouragement. There's so much fear around us. Every day, there's more violence and there's more destruction. There's more terror. Seems like every day the world gets worse. And we fear for our own safety and the safety of our families. We fear for the economy. We fear for so many things. But you remind us that you are bigger than that fear. You remind us that, that we should bring all of that and lay it at your feet. That through you we are more than conquerors. We have already won the battle. We have already overcome the evil one because of our position in you. Lord, we have more than half a wall. We have a complete wall around our lives. Yeah, fear gets through. But your grace and your glory can conquer all of that fear and put it to rest, eviscerate it. You can destroy fear. You can destroy all that robs us of our joy that you promised we would have. You can overcome anything that comes our way if we place our faith in you. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that made it possible for us to become sons and daughters of the living God. We thank you for facing your fears and walking boldly to the cross to overcome fear forever. Lord, I pray for those that don't have you in their lives. If they're not Christians, if they haven't given their heart to you, if the Holy Spirit has not indwelled in them, they have no wall. Yes, your hand of protection may be on them, but they don't have the comfort that comes from knowing who their Father is. So Lord, I ask that all that hear this, that haven't come to know you, that they should make that decision today to realize who they are and where they are and the vulnerability they have to to the evil one, to the intimidator that wants to destroy them. Lord, I ask that you move into their hearts and you give them the confidence to stand boldly in the world, proclaiming your word and become sons and daughters of you, the most high God. Lord, there are many of us in this room that may have known you for years and years, may have given their hearts totally to you at some point, but now are living in fear. They're living in fear of that next diagnosis or the loss of that paycheck or whatever it is. They've forgotten who they are and the position that they have in you. I ask, Lord, that you move in their hearts and refresh them. Build them up. Give them peace. Take that fear and conquer it. You're fearful here today. If you've got something that's weighing on your heart, lay it down. Christ died for all of that. You no longer have to carry all of that. He will carry all of that for you. 
Lay that fear down. Don't let it rob your joy. Don't let it keep you on the sidelines. I ask, Lord, that you move in the hearts of all that hear this and you give them a special peace and a special grace that you convince us all that we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. That fear itself is the enemy. And we can conquer that fear by placing our faith in you. I ask that you go with us this week and get us out of our comfort zone. Get us out of this sanctuary and out into the mission field. Get us out in the world and build that wall. Face the persecution that's coming. Face the danger that's out there. But knowing that you are the Most High God. Lord, give us the grace that only you can give. Give us peace that only you can give. Give us love that only you can bring. I ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.